this would have even happened if Alexis, I think you were j drunk or something and you started <laughs> letting us know that this panel was happening. Well, I'd like to think I'm the kind of UK reporter in the field. You know, in, in best sort of Star Wars, the whole thing's kind of a secret. I didn't know what was, what was going on. I'm uh, sure you're going to have to repeat all this anyway. Yeah. When, like, I don't know why Aaron's jumping in. Yeah, I was going to say, did... no, I was just bullshitting so we could, you know, whatever. Fine, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, okay. my name is Aaron. This is my podcast. Oh, wow. oh my God. Auto coming out of it's going to be like that. Huh? Coming out of grass. Like the fucking, fucking passive aggressive theater already. <laughs> so I'm I only assume... mad at I'm only mad at Ryan. <laughs> Friends and welcome to the Autopod Decepticast, a bi-weekly podcast that delivers an episode-by-episode -episode breakdown of the original G1 series. This is our episode number 186, and I'm glad that my notes matched up to Ryan's notes that I can see to my left here on that point. You know, we got something a little different today, so let's just jump into it. What You know, whatever happened to predictability? Oh, God. The, the milkman... The Paperboy, Evening TV, well, they were all clearly replaced by superior on-demand technology that negated the need for their existence. <laughs> Bobby doo bop bow wow <laughs> Have mercy. I'm your host, <laughs> widowed father and sportscaster Aaron, and I'd like to introduce you to my brother-in-law, hair enthusiast and part-time drummer for the Beach Boys, Uncle Caleb Carter, and my good buddy and failed stand-up comedian, Ryan. Oh, I don't get to be Jesse? Nope. <laughs> I get to be Jesse. Cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> and you can assure, be assured in any circumstance like this, I'm going to try to give you the worst. I, I guess that make, that tracks. I don't know what I was fucking thinking. <laughs> Even though in reality, I feel like your persona when we were younger growing up was maybe modeled after Uncle Jesse. Like, I feel like My you saw yourself in that. In oh, that of life. course. My persona was modeled off every douchebag on TV. <laughs> like, it was that. It was, uh, it, and also in any, like, oh, that guy's the coolest guy in the room. <laughs> uh, a, a shocking amount. I went back and watched Wings, which is not good. But uh, a shocking. I you liked that show. I did when I was a kid, and I rewatched it, and it's that's not very good. Okay. Um, the writing's not very good. But, like, uh, I realized how much, like, literal lines I used in the world from Steven Weber's character of Brian. I did not watch Wings, so I don't Don't. Know. Is Brian, like, the he's the, he's, the wild card character? Yeah, he's the goofy, the rogue. The goofy un... Uh, um, <laughs> irresponsible brother that uh, okay. that owns the the company with his uh, more responsible brother uh who's the actor's name I'm blanking on um it doesn't matter yeah tim daly no good no slight yeah no slight to john stamos at all but the evolution of the beach boys is fucking weird and tragic <laughs> <laughs> yeah charles manson was uh knew one of the beach boys and stayed in his yeah. house for a while and um, until he asked he had to have him ejected cuz he threatened him with a knife Char uh, charles manson actually was was a pretty good folk singer and was uh, going to be like he just refused to be produced which is yeah. why they he was the shocker charles manson kind of an irresponsible wild card kind of guy not good to have in the studio yeah. 
Let's let's take let's hear it for Ryan. He'll take a story and run it right towards serial killers. I, it's just where it connects for me. I'm yeah, like Beach Boys, yeah. Charles Mason. Yeah, that Wilson brother actually uh, died. He drowned in the 70s, I believe. Does Charles Manson count as a serial killer? <laughs> no. Or is, okay. Charles Manson never killed anybody. He's a cult leader. He though. tried to. Cult leader. He was a cult leader. Hey. A weird ass cult. Yeah. Okay. He I'm, was very. He was. Uh, but the cult that probably had the most consensual sex. They were. They never. There was no. There were no sexual crimes. A lot of cunnilingus. Okay. Uh, weren't those girls underage? Uh. <laughs> I'm getting some. I, I'm getting some uh, I was, signals from our special guests on that one. That could be some You're, of, not all of them. How is this? How is this to witness this in real time, guys? This is this is what this is, uh, it. this is it. This intro was inspired by our last episode that we published, where mm. you talked about the theme song to Perfect Strangers, yes. which did inspire some discourse. On the Patreon, I think discourse is strong. We heard uh, we heard uh, some favorites thrown out there. Saved by the Bell, Greatest American Hero, Welcome Back, Cotter, the Norman Lear comedies generally, and and strangely and and, and idiotically, Laverne and Shirley, <laughs> <laughs> and most importantly. Somewhat unrelated, we also need a theme song for the new movie that's now in production based on that conversation, directed by Michael Bay, uh, called Big Ken and Mr. Cool, <laughs> starring you and your personas that you've developed throughout life. Oh, okay. I couldn't track where this was going, but yeah, yeah that's that's, you're, that's cool. an inside joke about some of the comments on our page. Mr. Cool, yeah. Insi ins yeah. It is an inside joke, but you talked about your Mr. Cool story. My Mr. Cool story. I forgot about that, yeah. All right, well. Why? What? What is this, Ryan? What do you want to? Oh, I was going to give you the opportunity to riff and make up what the outline oh, of the movie Big Ken and Mr. Cool could possibly There's be about. A lot of cunnilingus, <laughs> consensual. Yeah, those girls are overage, and uh, we're, just, we're it's Ken and me in a in a in a groovy sandwich. Just have like a cunnilingus buffet. This is getting gross. Oh, all right. <laughs> Doesn't sound gross yeah, to me. Mike is, for the record. is telling me that there will be guns will be scissoring. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I don't know who Mike is. Yeah, we don't I, know there's yet. A, there's only the three of us here, as far as I know. Listener, this is a special episode. We are we foregoing. Uh, yeah, we're foregoing the regular format, in a sense, as you undoubtedly know, we cut our teeth. Uh, breaking down the 1986 movie, and in the last weekend before we recorded, we're recording in the year of our Lord, 2022, Saturday, August 27th right now. Uh, last week there was a little con up in the old blighty of <laughs> England, and of course I uh, am talking about TF Nation LTD, and at that con there was a panel where professional fanboys Chris McFeely and Jim Sorensen did a little thing where they uh, unveiled that they had found the original first draft of uh, 1986's Transformers the movie, although that draft is much, much older, and we'll get into that. Uh, and luckily, we had... A correspondent in the field. That's right. <laughs> who was uh, at the convention, uh, maybe on mild intoxicants, uh, but he <laughs> was able to mentally telepath the event to us, and give us a vibe check on the whole affair, and we have that man with us today. But before we introduce <laughs> him, we knew that if we were going to dedicate a whole episode to this Transformers the Movie hot goss, we, we're going to have to have on the number one 
Transformers the movie fan, certified worldwide, all talk, no shock, Seattle Metro Zone, Mr. Mike Seibert of Mike Seibert Radio. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, hey. Thanks for having me. This is a uh, this is exciting. I was I was really excited when my phone rang and say, "Hey, man, we're going to talk about this," and and it took me a sec too because I was like, "Well, it, it's cool that we're going to have our overseas correspondent on, but what do you guys need me for?" And it's like, "Well, well buddy, it's it's the movie. We we need our our special uh, TFTM uh, super fan stand." on so i i'm really excited to share the space with you guys today i think this is going to be a really fun conversation because uh, not to get too far ahead i'm just excited that 36 years later we're still finding a way to find new stuff about mm -hmm. this movie that we all love so much it's uh, it's really exciting it is we were also afraid maybe the episode would be too short so that we called you in as wow. a buffer. Wow, just a total dig <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to get a MSRP button that says brevity is not my first best strength. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, I, I think those would sell. I, I think to so. nobody. I'll help you with that. I'll get. I'll buy one. Yeah, I'll, I'll make Thanks, it and buddy. I'll buy it. Uh, you, <laughs> but have... yeah. Need pad it. You need padding. I'm your dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've had a uh, quite a bit of Transformers content in July and throughout August. Do you want to talk about what you've been doing? Well, it, it depends upon how much padding you need. But no, <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've been up to a couple things. Uh, most recently, in the uh, towards the end of July, I participated in Cybefest Northwest. That's a, a little unofficial Transformers convention here in the Pacific Northwest. It was held in uh, Kent, Washington. It was uh, about uh, uh, 20 miles south of Seattle. It's their ninth year of doing the convention. And this was kind of the, you know, I, I, I'm reluctant to use terms like back to normal or return to normalcy with regards to post-COVID or, or whatever. I mean, because, I mean, we're, we're still in a global pandemic, uh, so I don't, I don't know if I buy the quote unquote COVID is over narrative, but I don't want to get too political here, but basically <laughs> like it's um, the, the dealer room was open at almost full capacity. We were bringing back panel discussions. Uh, it was the return of the, the kids play area, basically things that we didn't do when Sidefest went in 2021, there was a very small, uh, more stripped down, uh, version of the dealer show in August of 21. So this was kind of the first opportunity to kind of, you know, kind of in, invite folks back. And it was back to it, super it spreader status. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, no, it was, a, it was a great time. I, uh, I, I bought way too much art and toys. It was, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was just fun. I, you know, I tabled, I, I had little flyers to hand out. I had the candy dish. I hosted a couple panels. It was a, it was a big day for me. And with that, uh, and I, I didn't really do a good job of promoting it or talking about it or whatever, but I've, I, I've been working with the organizers of SciFest Northwest for, for the last several years leading up to this year's convention they reached out to me it's like well you do all this stuff for us you constantly promote us on your podcast you connect us with other uh content creators and movers and shakers in the new space it's like well do you want 
to be a convention organizer with us. And I was like, well, I'm doing all the work already. Uh, the pay, do the pay doesn't change. So yeah, sure. So I, I, I think I announced this on my show. I don't even remember, but basically I, I'm the quote unquote, a uh, media coordinator for Sidefest Northwest. So I had, I I'm on the discord and everything I've got like credentials or whatever so my efforts to chase that clout continue and now i have some kind of you know status or, or whatever if you're not going to get paid you might as well be the vp of media coordination or svp or president svp yeah mm. Mm, svp i like that <laughs> um yeah no i he likes, uh, he likes the v and the p ladies <laughs> <laughs> there it is uh but no it's a it, it's a great group of folks uh i'm glad to be working with them they're they're such a terrific community of transformers fans here in the pacific northwest and sidefest is kind of like a rally point uh for folks that know each other online to actually like see each other in person it's kind of like like a mini tf con or a mini tf nation where you know i mean it, it's it's a small dealer show you know it's 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 in a gym <laughs> so it's uh it, it's not uh to the scale of some of the other conventions we're going to talk about today, but um, but yeah, no, it's it, it's just fun to connect with friends, and um, and yeah, it's just a it's just a great show. Uh, next year, we're hoping to do more and more bigger and better stuff. We're we're hoping to expand uh, some of the panels. We were really cautious and conservative in terms of what we planned um, in terms of panels because we're still in that spot where it's like we're not sure what everyone's comfort level is we're not sure what our comfort level is you know with regards to uh covid guidelines and what we should be doing what's responsible what's not yeah we we just we played it as safe as we could and folks seem to really dig it the uh, uh we sent out surveys to all the attendees and dealers and everybody was like yes more of this we're ready let's let, let's do it and uh, so, yeah, so next year is going to be big. We're going to have it's it's the big 10 year anniversary of Sidefest Northwest uh, show number 10. So we're going to have like T-shirts and buttons and tchotchkes. That and was the pox. biggest. feedback. Yeah, most <laughs> certainly. Very bumpy. It's uh, uh, Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's so funny because it, it's it's really it's really hard to bounce back from, from those kinds of jokes because it's like, yeah, that was inappropriate. Is... I apologize. Well, no, no, no. It, it, but it does underscore though, some of the hesitancy and nervousness that convention organizers uh, struggle with as well as convention attendees. I mean, I I'm kind of glad we're talking about it because mm -hmm. like that is still very much a thing. It's like, I, I think for us to pretend that we're quote unquote back to normal, is short-sighted but likewise i think one of the other refrains is that we're kind of burnt out on living in fear also so i i don't know maybe it's the borderline libertarian in me but i'm I, i'm a fan of personal responsibility with regards to your safety so if you feel the the need to wear a mask then you most certainly should um that kind of thing if you if you don't feel an environment is safe for your comfort to go, then don't go. Um, so I that that's just kind of me. Like for example, here in uh, the Seattle area, we just recently had Emerald City Comic Con. I didn't go. 
too big too soon. I don't want to be in a contained building with a hundred thousand other people, but hanging out in a gym with a couple doors open, uh, loading bays where there's decent air circulation, that's more to my comfort. I thought you were going to say um, with so a I... couple dorks. <laughs> oh well, there was just just me and a couple than of a, dorks. <laughs> more than a couple dorks it'll there, be, but it'll be interesting because we're going to um, uh, TFCon um, in Chicago and. For now, at this point, it's like two months away, basically. Um, yeah. And like we went to Baltimore, and I, I, I mean, we we managed to skate through Baltimore COVID free. Yeah. We managed to catch it later. You two did. High five. I still haven't gotten it, and I'll, I'm sure <laughs> 90, I'll wear a mask the whole time. I still wear a mask every time I go out. We this is this is derailed. Sure. Let's circle back so, to Transformers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. the one that made the monkey. I know it's my <laughs> fault. That doesn't <laughs> make it good. Like, one quick thing before we introduce our next guest, who's waiting so patiently. Uh, he's been on the line for like a half hour. I, know. I feel real he's, bad. He's like, guys, you could have set this uh, meeting, Google meeting for 930. And I'd been this could have been an email. <laughs> you have an upcoming interview with somebody related to our conversation, Jim Sorensen, that I think yes. is going to be out before... This episode is out. This episode will be out next uh, Sunday. Next Sunday, which would be the what first of September, something like that. Something like yeah, yeah, yeah around maybe. third or fourth, whatever. whatever. Um, well, well, actually, let, let me interrupt you, Aaron, because like yeah, so I I can I can address that now. So first of all, we I I'm a multi-dimensional being. I okay. I uh, exist in different timelines and at different uh, things. So inspired by the conversation that we're actually going to have here now. So we're existing now in our present, which is your past. You listening to the Money. podcast. <laughs> exactly. So there, there's there's a lot of that. But in my future, which will also be your past, um, I, I am going to do a, a live stream with Jim Sorensen on uh, Monday, the 29th, which has already happened. If you're listening <laughs> to this no, this is happening now. <laughs> Everything you're seeing now happened last week. Don't call in to talk about pets. <laughs> Mr. Show reference. I, Thank you, but, Ryan. But I, but I am going to set it up so that the podcast version of that conversation comes out Monday the fifth to coincide with the release of this episode. Cool. So, got it. So, if you are listening to this episode of Autopod Decepticast tomorrow, go listen to Mike Seibert Radio and my uh, follow-up discussion with Jim Sorensen, because I'm sure that the things that we're going to discuss today will inform some of the things I'm going to talk to him about, because like there's, you know, like you guys already talked about, I'm such a huge fan of this movie, and Jim Sorensen is a huge uh, uh, Transformers history buff, and I'd really like to get his take and his story on the discovery of the script and kind of how the project kind of came to be because it's you know there the, there's so many moving parts to it it's like you know uh, uh and again i'm getting way ahead of myself but like you know jim Sorensen getting the script partnering with chris mcfeely partnering with all the artists partnering with tf nation keeping it a secret from all of us um i've uh, I, i've seen jim Sorensen a few times at tf cons when i went to uh, TFCon LA earlier this year, he did a panel with Flint Dilly, which was basically the secrets of Five Faces of Darkness. And, and it was a very similar thing where Jim had found some 
early unused material from Five Faces and basically did that as a presentation with Flint mm-hmm. on a, on Friday night. And we, we've all sat through a Flint Dilly Five Faces of Darkness uh, um, marathon slog. No, th- this, this was like tight and bright and concise. Uh, Jim's a terrific storyteller. And he's, as, as we're going to talk about here, for uh, uh, Beyond Your Wildest Imagination, he's very good at uh, summarizing and condensing uh, dense text. So, 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 so some of us uh, may have a different opinion about that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hot take. Hot take. So, okay, you have two options. Stop listening to us right now that you could go over and check out the live stream, which occurred in our future, but Mike Seibert's cur- or the current past, if you're listening to this. You could go check out that live stream. Now it's already that, the past, that, yeah. And, and that stream won't be live, though, if you haven't already watched it, but it will exist. Or you could wait until tomorrow and hear that interview uh, on your podcast. Unless, of course, of you're not listening um, to this podcast. on the fourth. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I think I got the math. Let's move on. Also, on Please, the show. Otherwise, with us. I'm just going to keep rambling. <laughs> on the you show. You wanted padding, my friend. You got padding. <laughs> I don't think I should say we wanted it. Um, we. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I do have. Uh, that is on fire, dude. I, I am feeling feisty. I know he is. Jet fumes. Uh, Holy he, shit! He does have a martini to my left here, so uh, you know. I don't know if that contributes to the feistiness or not. I am super excited to introduce to the show our man on the inside, a, a collector, a storyteller, a teacher. A gentleman question mark <laughs> but uh, a man who if you tune into our next episode number 187 star screams ghost you'll learn even more about him but for now uh, welcome to the show the captain alexis taylor thank you very much yeah you will we well, mind um so this is a little preview of me isn't it <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. a sneak preview. Uh, so yeah thanks for the introduction yeah um the uk correspondent on the field at tf nation mm-hmm. um when uh jim and chris dropped uh a bombshell really if uh again like mike you know, i'm a, I, I wore the video cassette out and bought several more uh in my childhood i mean you know this this movie is set in stone it sets so many things isn't it um that we we kind of took for, for granted as, as being you know sacrosanct that's what it is and then yeah. other scripts have been kind of leaked out over the years and they're all kind of in the public domain and we kind of know about them and you can kind of see the story threads of what made through mm-hmm. and then this one i assume to all of us in you know on on this podcast today was was some new stuff some new sheet mm-hmm. uh that's so true. yeah i was really fortunate a, a little bit drunk i must admit um yeah. <laughs> i only brought that up because like, you said it it seemed like you were really, like really proud well, to be like kind of hammered in the okay. moment <laughs> proud we, i don't know pride is the right word <laughs> hey listen <laughs> just, yeah, just what this, it was this is my first one this is my first convention ever oh. so um and i was really um and whether to go or not because i thought well you know i'm kind of I, I kind of went with a with a, a colleague's uh, husband, um, Catch, who incidentally, uh, Mauricio Cafiero has got a great YouTube channel where he does a lot of stop motion um, videos uh, with animation with with the, the third party toys, which is great. So check that out. So we, we kind of went there, and I was a bit like, oh, shall I go or not? You know, somebody I knew was going to sort of drop out. I'm like, yeah. You know, am I going to be kind of bored because it seems like a long time? I mean, you get there, eye blisteringly early, mm-hmm. and you stay eye-wateringly late and you know there's that bit in the middle and you know it was quite it's quite hot here in the uk it was quite hot and you get quite thirsty don't you so yeah i had a few drinks (laughs) (laughs) 
so by the time this happened and and you know this was this was how they did it um i mean hats off to to jim and chris and the organizer of tf nation you know to keep this kind of a secret you know there was a bit of sort of murmurings about what is it you know um and the way i have to say the way they presented it was uh, phenomenal um and again we'll probably talk about that but you know they commissioned you know some great artists to kind of do these little slides you know it i guess it was a lecture you know that it you know, for me as a lecturer, <laughs> this was pretty good. Mm -hmm. A great audience. Um, but you know, you know, they they really kind of um, sort of spun spun and weaved a web around this uh, this this lost forget forgotten scripts uh, that's just hit hit the public domain. And I'm sure you know eventually they, they did sort of mention that Flint is really protective of his uh, of his stuff that he's got, which is completely understandable. And you know, this was their way. Of kind of releasing this in in kind of a manner where you know the scanned copies of this what two hundred odd page it's crazy manuscript it's huge um, before that I mean eventually we hope it will go on online and we can all pour over it and there'll be a redo of this and everything else but you no know, they 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 really did a good job there so hats off to them fellas they were great yeah I don't know even when I was even when I was a bit drunk they were great they were <laughs> well. Quite Experience. You know? I, uh, we and, and to, just for the record, like the three of us, we've never been inebriated at, at, a, a, at a con. At a con, no. ever? No, never. We've certainly never. And I don't know if we've. Oh, uh, if, I like, wasn't sure if that was the dumb thing. I mean, is that what you're supposed to do? No, we're. These yeah, no, oh, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're, I, I feel like we're kind of an anomaly. I feel like at least between Ryan and I, we are generally the drunkest people. At they the are con. usually the drunkest yeah, people there. I, I remember the first <laughs> night at in the last time we went to Chicago, uh, 2018, I think. Um, well, uh, yep. uh, I, I got su super hammered, uh, Friday, watched about, I don't know, an hour of the Flint Dilly five faces, which meant we were 30 seconds into the show and, um, <laughs> then just wandered off to go to bed. And then West came back at like two in the morning and I was fully clothed sideways on the bed, shoes still on. I just fallen into it face first. Yeah. So, so I, I, I also re I also remember that, Ryan, because like that again, that was the first time I met, met you guys IRL. And yeah, so like I, I saw your head kind of dipping mm -hmm. and then he, he you just kind of politely excuse yourself. And I, I turned to Aaron and Melody. I'm like, is he OK? <laughs> and right. and my dude, Aaron's like, it's his way. He's fine. <laughs> He's fine. And I'm like, OK, yeah. So but, I don't but know. Meanwhile, if... we all had drinks in our hand in the panel room while yeah. we were. Oh, and there. they didn't want that. So we were like, I would every now and again, somebody would try and like do like a little, uh, and I would just pretend like I did not see them or hear them, and I would just keep on walking. If you walk with authority, oh, they generally don't chase you down. <laughs> so I don't know if we've actually said specifically what this is. This is we're talking about the yeah. panel at TF Nation. Uh, that revealed the exist. Well, we knew about the existence, but yeah. revealed uh, the first draft of the Ron Friedman script for Transformers movie from 1984. Uh, the script we used for our show was from 1985. We think it's the second or third draft. Um, and so, but this was the first time. Like there had been a heritage auction where the where one of these drafts was sold, and it's never been seen. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like Chris and. Um, um, I'm sorry, what's Jim. your Jim. Jim, thank you. Uh, Chris and Jim, uh, in collaboration with Flint Dilly, it sounds like he, Flint, had found a copy of this script, this Ron Friedman script, and they saw it, and they'd had... Or he won the auction, or <laughs> who knows? Like, 
I think my understanding is is we all know during COVID, Flint Dilly was going through his, his stuff. Right. stuff. Yeah, he, yeah. He he put up a bunch <laughs> of stuff on auction, and one of the one of the white whales that he still has not found is Flint Dilly's first draft right. of the script called right. The Secret of Cybertron. That still remains unfound. But as I understand it, basically in looking for that script, he finds this script, which is said Ryan uh, Ron Friedman's first original draft of transformers the movie which he wrote shortly uh, before the show even aired mm -hmm. so like th this is like basically like after heavy metal war gets turned in they're like hey uh, hey ron friedman go write a script but it's it's my understanding that flint was the one that found it in his stuff right okay and then from there he's he's homies with jim so they kind of figured out i think like jim went to his place in LA scanned the scripts and then that's all I know. So that's some of the stuff I'm going to ask Jim about. It's like, well, tell me that story, but mm -hmm. I'm yeah. From what, what I recall at the time, I think, you know, they mentioned sort of the 2020 election day. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Jim, Jim was with, with Clint and um, you know, they, they unearthed this script um, and, and this was the kind of prize gold. And, and what they said, if I recall at the time was that, you know, Flint, allowed allowed Jim and Chris to kind of present this in a pre-seed format, you know, not not release the whole thing, but allow them to uh, present this in a pre-seed format. And that's what we got. That's what we got on the night. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense from a timeline perspective because they would have needed time to produce the artwork that supported it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they had to, to figure out their outline of what they were going to talk about and and all of that stuff. So they had it, presumably, for the better course of this year then and trying to figure out what they were going to do with it and planning their panel out. I I wonder why they settled on TF Nation rather than pitching it to TFCon or if they did pitch it. I'm just speculating. It's curious that because they... Because you get all the stuff and we probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know cool. how big the con at TF Nation is compared to TFCon. I would... I mean, it's once a year. I'd wager it's bigger. You're drawing from... A large Western European audience, I'm assuming. It was over three days. I mean, I only went for the Saturday. Uh, some people were there for all three, um, so I missed some great stuff on the on the Friday. I mean, you know, it, it felt it felt it felt big, I guess, for the UK. Uh, it, but it also then felt small, you know. And again, I think Mike, what you said about maybe COVID and things like that. I think people are still getting used to kind of going to things like this. And, and certainly, you know, in the UK, I mean, if you know anything about the UK, we're, we're going to hell in a handcart anyway. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's lawlessness over here anyway. But, you know, there were a few, fair few people in masks. And I do wonder if that, that kind of limited, like, masses and masses of people. Um, it was a, quite a big venue that was really spread out um, and, and, and lovely and air-conditioned and everything. And the best bit of it was we weren't the only convention there. I'm digressing now. We'll do this. There was another convention. It was, it was a Zumba championship or, or a world number thing so the best thing for me honestly it was it was picture perfect he had all these guys and trans and mainly guys you know transformers t-shirts you know and really geeky kind of stuff happening and you know in the bar there was all these people and they go oh, i've got a trip to con you know, and, they <laughs> you know and, and everyone everyone gets their transformers out and stuff like that and there's a few sort of sort of wives and girlfriends kind of just looking at instagram kind of bored and stuff like loads of kids and that's the one thing that I noticed as well. You know, a lot of kids, a lot of young, really younger people. I mean, there's old middle-aged men like us with our toys, uh, which 
people would look on with a kind of sad reflection of, well, <laughs> did you have a bad childhood? <laughs> there was lo there was loads loads every, every 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 walk of life was there, which was which was great. But then you had this other part of the convention center, which was Zumba. <laughs> so it's like everyone's there, like, <laughs> and and that these 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 people were fit. You know, mm. they were fit. They were good looking. They were perspiring. They had their towels. They were going for kind of you know juice bar drinks and stuff like that. They were at the bar. I was sort of saying, "Pint of Stella, please." They were like, going, "We have kind of a juice, a spring water, and there at the bar." <laughs> Remembering their moves. So, so the best bit of it was talk about diametrically opposed I know. culture. That's amazing. Mashed together right. in this weird thing. And hot I, I bots and tight buns. Hot bots and tight buns. But I had this Transformer t-shirt on with Starsky and there was these two girls at the bar and they were like going, okay, we're going to get this one. Mm, Megatron? Mm -hmm. And I said, ooh, right sort of field. Starscream. Ah, oh, and, and the way they went, it's sort of like, ah, oh, as if I'm, <laughs> It's shocking that they knew the name Megatron, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's impressive. That sounds well, cool. maybe they're just Nicki Minaj fans. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Let's hope so. Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, so yeah, I, I felt it was, um, again, it's my first time here, a long day, lots of people. The atmosphere was great, as I guess all the conventions are really. Got, got to meet up with, um, in, in the real world, in real life, with a, a few people that I'm sort of friends with on Twitter in the Transformers community, which again is nice. It's one of those things, you know, sort of say, ah, oh, you're you. Oh, mm -hmm. great. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. So, don't know, was it, was it big? The, the, the room for this, this talk was, to put it in context, was at ClubCon. So you have the convention and then you can pay an extra ticket, an extra sub, and you get this evening entertainment, um, which kind of culminated in, in Gary Chalk, uh, the voice of Optimus Primal doing uh, an acoustic set of kind of blues and stuff. Um, but yeah, so so this was part of the evening entertainment bit. But, it, but, but one other bit of speculation I will throw out there, Jim Sorensen, if I understand his history, was a pretty major trip contributor to TF Wiki. Chris McFeely is a his, like well-known as a major contributor. So they're probably just buds. And he probably got access to the script through Dilly. And the one guy he called up was his, the main guy from TF Wiki. And that's why we're here yeah. where we are probably. I mean, most likely it's probably that simple. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just human connection. <laughs> who, who, yeah, are you yeah. gonna, who are you going to do this thing with? So they well, and it's yeah. and it's interesting, and and I you know I don't know if this is spoilers for my upcoming conversation, which is now in the past, uh, my uh, conversation <laughs> with Jim Thornton. But like, but like one of the things that I pitched to him on Twitter once, once kind of like the the web of remembrance kind of kind of parted a little bit, trying to figure out you know who has access to what. I, I tweeted at Jim and I said, well, you know, now that you got the script and you've done stuff with TFCon, how about you do a panel at TFCon Chicago with Ron Friedman, very similar to the mm -hmm. one that you did with Flint Dilly for Five Faces? What he said? Um, he said, would love to, exclamation point. Okay. So, that would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, yeah, Ron Friedman will be there, and I looked, and I was like, I knew, I guess intellectually, but he's fucking 90 years old, yeah, so. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, Alexis, we didn't really, <laughs> I was going to ask you if you would just go into uh, just a little more detail on your background and sorted backstory, just so people get the context of you and where you come from as, as a collector and Transformers fan. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a podcast or anything, I'm just a <laughs> schmuck. 
Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm just a normo. And um, no, I've, I've, um, I've obviously been into Transformers since I was a kid, really. And, and that, that's it. And, and to be honest, you know, um, I collect the toys, but not religiously so. I mean, I've got a few, few here. I only collect G1 pretty much um because i you know i kind of like the vintage thing i like the vintage packaging and all of that and, and i've managed to keep the majority of my collection i've got of, of the things that i got at the time in the 80s as a kid and i was just a bit anal about it and you know after the first few where i'd kind of open and kind of chuck everything out then i sort of started thinking ah there's something in this and you know i'm a i'm a graphic designer by trade that's what i went into later in life obviously uh, and loved to draw and loved artwork. So for me, it was it, mainly the packaging and everything else was just beautiful. The artwork was beautiful. And these things were just expensive things. And, you know, uh, and, and something, I came from quite a, a kind of poor family. So it was sort of, you know, if we get one of these, this was an expensive thing to keep and sort of cherish really. So that's what I did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I've always had, you know, a lifelong kind of um, passion for Transformers since I read all the Marvel UK comics. I used to get them every, whenever it came out every week. I think it was weekly mm -hmm. over here uh, from the little shop down the road and everything. And saw that sort of full run out. Um, and, you know, once, once you're a kid and people know that you're into certain things, that's what you get bought, right? So, you know, every birthday and Christmas was kind of like, oh, it's easy. Just get my Transformer. Or anything Transformer related, Transformers. Soap, Transformers cushions, Transformers lampshades, um, and as, as a massive hoarder <laughs> of stuff, I, I just kept all of that. I uh, sort of kept that all in the loft. Don't throw anything away. Much, much to the dismay of my wife, um, <laughs> who, who when we, we had to move house, that you know she had maybe two boxes, and I had you know crates and crates and crates full of stuff. Um, so that's where I come into it, really. Just just the love of the franchise. I, I guess like you guys do, you know. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And, it's just it's just this this one thing that you know you, I've, I've kind of returned to all the way through the years you know so much so when i was at maybe at university in the mid mid 90s you know i'd have transformers kind of ephemera uh, around the room people would be like going what that thing from the eight ah, that's, what are you doing with that you know so, so yeah so, so you so, never hid your love for the brand even at a time that it might have not been socially advantageous it sounds like i don't i don't th i think there are some deep dark desires that have to be there front and center way through your life you need you need, you need to pin your colors to your mask mother you know that's <laughs> jet perhaps you have a first draft for us and by draft i mean beer and by beer i mean whatever you have planned for us all right. Holy yeah. shit, we're doing like the full meal deal episode. I just figured since this Every was time. a special exhibition, nope. we we were foregoing some of that. You haven't even bought me a drink yet? Good lord. <laughs> yeah. Um our cocktail today is uh one from the honky motherland of England in honor of our guest. Uh, I have no idea how I came across this. It's been on the rotation for a long time, so I just threw it in here. It is a snake bite and black. And the recipe is very simple. It is one part lager one part hard cider, and then a dash of black currant cordial. And you combine it all in a pint glass, no ice, no garnish. If you leave out the black currant, it's just called a snake bite. Here we go. Cheers. Whoa. Cheers. I I've taken I've taken the liberty of uh, making my own, so I can kind of cheers from here. So cheers. I don't know what, Mike, what you've got in your glass. I, I, I have coffee with Bailey's because it's Saturday morning. Uh, it, so I yeah, guarantee it will taste better than this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite ready for ale yet. Yeah, so that sounds delicious. Sounds refreshing. Like it. it is refreshing. Caleb? 
Yeah, it's very refreshing. <laughs> it, rem- it reminds me of um, with mixing the cider in. There's a trend here. I'm sure there's a trend everywhere for this, but make, you have a half beer, half kombucha. They mix it in. Mm, and this ooh. isn't quite. This doesn't quite have that bite, but even though it's got the snake in the name, it's it's good. So, Alexis, you, whenever I mentioned that's what we're going to be having, you said that it was illegal to serve in, in the U.K. Um, yeah. Technically, that's yeah. not true. Well, no, it's a bit it's a bit apocryphal, that, isn't it? Yeah. Go on, go on, Ryan. You, t- you tell me why it's not true. Okay, I got a whole thing. <laughs> you <laughs> tell me why I'm a liar. <laughs> um, there is no law against it. I tried to find out why so many residents believe it's illegal, and the reason is that so many pub owners tell them it's illegal. Uh, why would they do that? Which is also murky, but it seems to boil down to the fact that they seem to believe that the pub owners seem to believe the type of people who drink this are younger, rowdier, more unsavory. So they just lie. Um, and there's a whole Guardian article interviewing bartenders and asking why it's pretend illegal. And the answer seems to basically boil down to classism. And apparently a lot of students and weirdos drink it and they don't like them. <laughs> is this a, a well, trendy drink today or is this a drink from the past? No, this is I, I, the last time I had this was probably about 1995 okay. as a student. Um, yeah, but that, that's probably all true, to be honest. And again, it's one of those things that's, very, that, that's British. You kind of know not to ask for a snake bite and black in a pub or a bar. I always thought it might be something to do with a cocktail license. Is this class as a cocktail? Because, you know, some bars have to have special licenses in order to serve cocktails, you know, high-octane stuff. Um, and I was in a pub, actually. I was just saying to my wife before we did this, I said, I was in the pub down the road, and somebody did ask for that. And they said, no, we're not allowed to serve it you, but we can half a cider, a half a lager, and a, and a shot glass of, of blackcurrant. And if you take it back to your table and mix it together... <laughs> That's absolutely fine by us. We just can't do it at the bar here. So it, it's it's steeped in rumor, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely wow. a thing. But but it, yeah, it's a quintessential kind of goth student drink. Yes. I was sort of goth student drink, hmm. um, and and I, I don't know if anyone really asked for it these days. It's one of those sort of eighties, nineties kinds of things. You know, if you speak to people of a certain age, you'll say, "Oh, yeah, snake bite." I thought that would also be appropriate. Yeah, for the. Um, yeah. I do have a but few. It, but quotes, it's very British. A few quotes from that Guardian article that I liked, where they interviewed people. So um, here's one from uh, Norm in Manchester. Having worked behind the bar for many years, I know nothing of chemical reactions, but plenty of people's reactions. And snake bite seems to have the power to intoxicate quicker and more potently than your average brew. In order to avoid the odious task of what we call vom mopping, or more descriptively, carrot picking, <laughs> certain drinks, <laughs> certain drinks such as snake bite, snake bite, or over-the-top cocktails are banned. This ban is the added bonus of keeping out goths and people with dogs on string. <laughs> And I love this because it's a twofer. He admits he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about and then just talks about people he doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> so, sounds, pretty, sounds pretty English to me. <laughs> you can see where we Americans got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Here's another one. So I, I want to I, I email this joke to 90 seconds ago when Alexis was talking about having the components and taking it back to his table. Would you, would you say then he uh, drinks a whiskey drink? Would you say oh, he drinks God. a oh, vodka no. drink 
All right. Lock a drink. Cut the mic. Side of drink. (laughs) Oh, damn. And and uh, what? what, Oh God, what what are they called? Chumbawamba are kind of the epitome of the sort of dogs on string uh, kind of people we're talking about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they they were uh, kind of like left wing uh, anarchists, uh, agit, agit, punk kind of, yeah, yeah, Grebo sort of things. Yeah, sort of mid eighties, early nineties. But yeah, and I guess it's cost effective as well. If you imagine sort of student nights. Um, when I was a student, we used to have like bog off nights. You probably get them. I don't know if you get them in the States. You know, buy one, get one free. And then we cottoned on pretty quickly that if you ordered a pint of wine, a pint of wine, you'd get a pint of wine <laughs> Jesus for Christ. free. Oh, wow. Now, they were, they, were, they, were, they were some messy pavement pizza kind of nights, those were. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, but, that sounds like those... yeah, it's. Oh, I was just going to say, it sounds like those terrible, like, sometimes you'll see, this is a Florida thing usually, but like, it's dollar Long Island iced tea night. And I'm like, whoa, everyone dies. We had, yeah, we had, uh, we had, we had, we had, we had, quor- we had like in frat bars, there's things like quarter, quarter beers. Pitchers, yeah, we had quarter pitchers. Of, we had, we had, uh, uh, when we were there uh, downtown on Wednesdays, it was uh, $5 all you could drink, which was fuck absolutely, a, you would get annihilated. It was a lot of fun. We had good DJs, but. Good God. I had a few more quotes in here I just liked. Um, J.C. Paul from the King's Lynn in Norfolk says, The licensing laws are phrased in terms like the prevention of crime and disorder, public safety, prevention of public nuisance, and the protection of children from harm. It's up to the licensee to decide what to serve and to whom. I think trading standards over the measure for spirits, etc. But nothing is listed as illegal. It's a license to sell alcohol. So basically, it's like they just don't don't want to deal with it. Yeah, and also, it's so I think weird. it's one of those it's, it's 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 one of those gateway drugs to drinking, isn't it? You know, and now that and then you know the nineties had Alka Pops and Hooch and stuff like that, and it's it's very sweet and stuff. So I guess at the time, you know, putting that it, you know it's kind of like a dirty, horrible shandy. Yeah, um, but that would be kind of a gateway drink where you know if you were young, you'd go, you'd really show your age when you say, oh, snake bite and black at the bar. It's kind of like, <laughs> There, Where is your driving license, young man? Even yeah, the the thing on the, the there's some funny things from the Wikipedia page. Uh, one of the comment it's a short page, but like apparently former President Clinton, when visiting the Old Bell Tavern in um, Harrogate, North Yorkshire, yeah, he went to Oxford. In 2001, was told it was illegal to serve when he tried to order one. And um, so there's some of the more ludicrous theories here. That is one more quote I want to read, such as the chemical reaction being between cider and lager gets you twice as drunk twice as fast than drinking either separately. Here's the quote um, from Tom Evans in Brisbane. In my, so this is Australia, but he was a transplant. In my younger days in Suffolk, we believed the additional intoxifying effect was caused because the alcohol in cider is more quickly absorbed by the body than in beer. When mixed together with the longer-term intoxication-staying power of the beer, you end up with the best or worst of both worlds, which is fucking not... Tr- which is ridiculous because alcohol is chemically identical. It's just ethanol. And so that would be like a single gin and tonic has more ABV than this. It, it, uh, it's inter- it's fun yeah, to see that our it, Anglo-Saxon you've, cousins all have... You've got a, uh, you've got a pint of this. Yeah. That is, and also, that's a lot of fluid sloshing around, and it's a pretty easy drink. So I think, you know, if you're necking this down, and that's sugary, you kind of done it. Look, I don't know. I'm drinking this. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> we'll see by the end of the episode how we get on. <laughs> that's all I have for the drink. It's just a weird, weird history. Yeah, I'm glad to see that, yeah. that our European cousins have uh, the same aversion to science that Americans <laughs> <Yeah>. have. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought no, it was just I don't us. Think it, We're I don't not think alone. Your, I don't think it's European cousins. I think it's probably just the British. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into it, I do want to do one quick shout out. We have an Apple podcast review, sort of, that I want to call out. And, and that is from a new friend, Simon A., who is from the UK. I, I don't know if that makes you jealous at all that we have other UK oh, no. listeners, uh, <laughs> Alexis. But, but um, Absolutely not. Oh, okay, good. Well, all right. Wonderful. <laughs> so progressive. We need more. Uh, headline. Totally. Uh, honestly, uh, our reception in the UK is amazing. I d we have mm -hmm. a, a, actually a pretty good number of listeners who are very, they seem, they're very vocal as well. So uh, I love that. And the headline to this review is Ba Weep Gra Na Weep Ninibong. Hello, gents. This will be my third try at leaving a review of your truly epic podcast. Having found APDC two weeks ago, I'm now about to listen to your Comic-Con ep having finished the movie. What a ride down memory lane. Your insights into the movie and franchise in general makes your podcast joint top with WTFTFW. High praise. Uh, my biggest takeaway, though, is your friendship that clearly shines through in the banter scanning ahead i see you carried on so i can't wait to hear the next chapter i'm hoping for more after dark and keeping oh my gosh. fingers crossed the iconic ghost gets oh. out of jail soon <laughs> um he didn't say what he rated us he actually sent this to us in an email because mm -hmm. this actually never got posted he couldn't figure <laughs> out how to post the review but he wanted us to know that yeah. he liked the show oh, i love it but okay. so i'm gonna assume it's a five-star review in his heart if he he's that far back, so he's in probably the questionable audio stages of the podcast. Yeah, I, I do this too, but I love how so many people, whenever they send us a review or whatever, are like, "Yeah, I've I've listened to a hundred of your episodes in the past three weeks." They, they, <laughs> like, yeah, they cram them. Yeah. So thank you, Simon. I'm pretty sure the iconic ghost did get out of jail. Maybe there's been a few misadventures since then. And Maybe I don't know what happened to few, After Dark. Where, where's, where's After Dark at nowadays? I've, I haven't okay. heard from I'm that. Okay I've never with... seen that guy. Yeah, he's in and out. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Yeah, it's, it's sort of a thing where it's like, it's like um, the, okay, the sequel to The Emperor's New Groove, where it's just about Kronk. It's like you don't really want that. You don't want it to be too much exposure. Oh, I like, see. So if I were to do exposure, it too much. Uh, literally, in quotes. Uh, consensual exposure. <laughs> hey, why are you looking? <laughs> um, so, yeah. You if don't, you didn't dress like that, I wouldn't show you my penis. It's, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do too <laughs> Wow. You don't want to do too much. Otherwise, it all starts to taste like beans. <laughs> yeah, very, oh, hey, that's fair. Maybe there'll well, be a I new one. I would also say to the uh, folks that binge APDC, there's a y'all forget that there was a time that those were relatively short. There was a time before you met Mike Seibert and like and, and there there's like you could almost clock it at like right around like episode 50, like right around the time you started getting connected with that Mike Seibert guy. The episodes just start getting longer and longer oh, wow. and longer. The influence yeah, I call real. it the Mike Seibert effect. I, I've had that effect on more Trademark than a couple that. podcasters. It's it's so funny. It's, yeah, it's the Mike Seibert effect. Yeah. I think there is a soup. I think it also and it, I think around this is sad, but I think 
think like around, well, not sad, but a lot of podcasts, when you hit the like the year mark approximately, you used to kind of start to get your stride. And I think that's when we start also adding in a lot of segments like, you know, um, Ghost of the Iconic Moment or like. Script um, deviations. We did script deviations pretty early on. But in the real started world. Getting, yeah, in the real world, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, and we just started uh, doing more up top banter as well. Lots. And so yeah. I think that's just whenever, but, but th- th- there's probably a component, a cyber component. Yeah. Thing, things have got to develop. Things have got to, yeah. you know, you, you figure it out. You hit your stride, like you said. Or you just quit. Yep. Uh, so thank you, Simon. Uh, we hope you're still listening by the time you get to this episode and enjoy. It should your be like a couple out. weeks. He'll get here. <laughs> you know, we call him shouts out. And it, which would imply we're shouting out uh, a person, but we're really just basking in our own. Oh, sure, we're our, patting our own our back. Own compliments. Oh, my arms, my arms, <laughs> almost broken from patting myself. By the way, the... I will say, guys, uh, there's a couple more. I ha- I opened all three of those oh, yeah. ciders. I'll be drinking them. Two that are still over there. Oh yeah. Um, I'll be I will say I don't really like beer or cider, and I like this. Yeah, I really dig this. Because I, I don't love cider, especially sweeter ciders. If it's more dry, I do like it better. But I like how it cuts the sweetness mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, adds a little effervescence. I'm going to try to pace myself because we're going to be here for a while. Speaking uh, of, let's go, get at her. Yeah, let's let's get at her. I, here's one thing I'd love to start with and, and give uh, Alexis the floor. And also, I should have done this way early. It, are, are we pronouncing your name correctly? Yeah, it's Alexis. Or Alex. most people call me Alex. Is is uh, you know, also a, an acceptable shortened version? Okay. I mean, you can call me Al if you like. It's an <laughs> wow. 80s reference wow. there, in there somewhere. Yeah, but, well, yeah. then you, you know, call yeah. me Eddie. Alex or Alexis. I'll answer to. Okay. Well, we didn't invite Chevy Chase to this podcast, <laughs> so we'll job. call you Alex or Alexis. <laughs> Alexis. Uh, you have a little bit, but what I wasn't sure of was this on the schedule? Was it on the schedule, but had a, a headline that didn't quite give away what yeah, they how were was doing? It built? Like, like, what was the buzz around this thing? Yeah, sure thing. It was on the schedule, and it didn't give anything away. And I think, and I looked at the schedule again today uh, to sort of make sure. Um, so I've got the schedule here, and it did say, uh, Beyond Your Wildest Imagination, part uh, two of three. So part one of three was supposed to be at se- it was at 7 o'clock, and it said just uh, join Chris McFeely and Jim Sorensen for a look back at when 2005 was going to be 1985 so nice and nebulous didn't give anything away there and then that was the first half was supposed to last for 30 minutes this is a bit of a review of this so 30 minutes and it was a commercial break okay and then at 1940 it was just a cycle part one game show style fun with special participants will attempt to talk about transformers without hesitation repetition or deviation just a cycle now i was kind of looking forward to that i was like get me up on stage i can do that (laughs) i love the sound of I love the sound of my own voice. Right? <laughs> but that was cut. That was cut. Um, and then it was at 8 o'clock, part two. Then there was another quiz. And then at uh, 8.50, it was part three. Uh, and then it wrapped up with, uh, with Gary Chalk. Um, but you could tell from them getting into it. And, and again, their, their enthusiasm, Chris and Jim for this, uh, it, it did inevitably kind of run over, I guess, like what we're doing now. Yeah, sure. um, so they, they must have cut things out. Um, so actually, it was a pretty hard slog. You know, if you, you know, kind of drunk a few drinks, you know, you were kind of crossing your legs like, oh, what's going on here? Um, but yeah, no. So it, it, it was nebulous enough so that we knew because of the people that were doing it, we were going to get something pretty special. And the fact that it was in three parts, again, you kind of thought, eh, there's something worth there's something worth sticking around for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. How long was it in total, approximately? <laughs> Eight hours. I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 it was. It was a good. Uh, it was a good. Must have been a good two and a half, three hours, all be told. Okay. They started at seven, um, and then Gary Chalk came on for the for the last bit uh, at maybe nine nine o'clock. Uh, with only kind of about five or ten minute sort of intervals in between, okay. so it, it was it, you, you got your money's worth. Put it that way. It feels like that could be t- a tough listen for the audience to keep like to stay paying attention, but also tough for the presenters. The moderators, like, you got you got yeah. some stamina to keep that going. Yeah, and I did, and I did wonder this, and I, and I tell you what, one one little aside, you know, Chris McFeely, he did some brilliant um, voice voice acting there, like yeah. doing Will Jack's voice and stuff like that. But you know, the the the, the one thing that I'd say is, it it, it was very G one. You know, and as I said before, you know, a lot of this crowd, you know, they, they're into stuff for like, you know, Transformers animated, you know, they're into mm-hmm. stuff from like the Michael Bay films onwards. You know, G1 is fast becoming this sort of little vintage thing like the Blooming Thunderbirds or something that, you know, kind of a, a, load, a load of old Generation X's are into. A lot of the people in the room and it was, you know, a lot of families that, that I guess they might have been a bit sort of, oh, oh, yeah, I haven't watched the movie, so I don't know what this is about. Uh, it was very much paying fan service to the people like us that, that cool. were there at the time and then knew about it. And is this yeah. the only panel that's taking place at the time, or do they have multiple panel rooms going on? Yeah, it was the only panel taking place. And, and I guess, you know, like all conventions, you know, you kind of pick and choose what you go and see, don't you? So, you know, I, I kind of left and went to see that, and it was the, the separate club con. There'd be a lot of people still in the bar that, that, that didn't sit through this at all maybe they were enjoying some i mean there was this one guy that i saw there that was really putting the moves on a couple of these um fantastic looking girls i have to say you know for, Zumba. he'd broken he'd broken away from his triptychon he, <laughs> he was there and he, he was he was going down a whole nother road you know it's that, that that place was in a hotel there was a there was a lot of rooms in that hotel as well so. <laughs> I, I have no clue what you're saying or trying to imply. Well, so thanks for that. So the vibe in the room as as people started to realize what happened, like I guess, can you describe sort of the uh, the the group emotional intensity, the atmosphere, yeah. the energy? Um, it, it, I tell you what, it was very focused. It, you know, it was very very. It, it was it, they had everyone's full attention for everyone that was there. You know, people stuck around. You know, you didn't get, you know, I was maybe sat about three or four rows back from them at the front. And, you know, you didn't see those sort of people kind of going and sort of like wandering off uh, to go and find some Zumba dancers or anything like that. You know, people did sort of stay around for it. So, and again, I put that down to, I put that down to the both of them putting in such a sort of stellar turn on the stage. Uh, and the artwork as well. And and that's the one other thing that I'll say. And the artwork has surfaced online. It's on Twitter um chris has like posted kind of a breakdown of everything on there the artwork really for me did cement this in some kind of reality you know if they'd have just been sort of talking through this with just a general backdrop without that interspersed little vignettes uh of of these reimagined things and there's been some sort of chat on some of the forums that sort of said oh you know you're putting stuff out there with these images on the internet uh you're going to confuse people they'll think this is genuine stuff it's like oh Whatever. come on bitch please <laughs> it, and it you know jesus genuine. christ <laughs> it, it's a million awesome. times that this is reimagined um yeah. but it but the artwork really did sort of bind everything together 
that's a good transition. I before we started to kind of go through the outline of what we heard, which Ryan is gonna walk us through as our script deviations expert. Uh, just did want to touch on the artwork because it was you're right, like a fantastic addition. Maybe my favorite part of the whole presentation. And so I'll shout out the artists. I believe these are all of them were involved in the project. There was Piz, a.k.a. at Ed Peary on Twitter. Uh, Chris Carter, a.k.a. at Drivar. That's three A's. Uh, James Marsh at James Otron. And Andrew Turnbull also contributed to that. And it was often a blend of there was a lot of original art, original character designs, backgrounds. There was stuff and, taken like just from the show as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of composited it yep. in Photoshop over that. And they did it. I mean, it was really pretty seamless. And it often looked like animation stills. I mean, I guess the critique was. about confusing, but I mean, it, they did a good job of making it look like it was could the, have been ripped the, from a cutting room floor of the movie. Yeah, the, the colors and uh, you know even the, the shading, line work, and even the in some design. Of, yeah, even in some of those illustrations, the line work was kind of a little bit hazy, like it would have been taken from from a still from from a, a piece of film. You know, yeah. there, there was one shot I think of like Starscream where you know the lines are a bit a bit fatter and a bit the attention to detail to make that really feel like it was a part of filmed animation i thought was great and the kind of laser effects where you've got that white and then the purple hue around it mm -hmm. you know this did not look like something from idw you know th this right. this looked like something from toei and they also took a lot i mean we've looked at and promoted a lot of the old fluoro dairy concept artwork and they did a great job the one that stands out probably the most is ultra magnus mm -hmm. uh which mm -hmm. was you know you've seen those ridiculously detailed hyper color almost tie-dyed looking um old character models for ultra magnus which was then kind of repurposed for orion pax but they redid it as if it were ultra magnus in those diaclone colors but really streamlined the design to make it actually what what was as done with it, all the fluoro dairy yeah, designs right to like streamlined it for animation show. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the one thing about the movie as well aaron like you know the the fluoro dairy character art Bearing in mind, Fleur Deary kind of did, you know, kind of made them less kibbleless, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, from, from the original Diaclone toys. These characters, and even the characters we got in the movie, they were they were like Devcon, you know, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 or Chromia. They didn't look like the Transformers that you could buy on the shelves, even mm -hmm. in the cartoon at the time. There was a certain look and feel to them. So all of these characters that were that were remixes i guess mm -hmm. of some of that florida a lot of creative license in something like tankor which we'll probably come on to it felt very different and that was the one thing going back to the original movie when you saw the movie characters they were just such a million those cybertronian modes they were such a million miles away from what you could buy in the shops of like sunstreaker or anything mm -hmm. like that these were different rounded different yeah quite abject forms really you know they didn't they didn't look like transformers it is interesting to think that fluoro dairy's job originally was to simplify the toys <laughs> like you said but then what these people did was simplify fluoro dairy's designs I mean... and make them you know palatable for animators which they did a great job as well as bringing to life in the style of those old animation models characters that were never designed as far as we know right like the rails character and the the character that was tankor that was sort of like a cup character and so they designed you know what looked like would have been official model sheets for those characters that as far as i understand uh were never 
you know, brought to life visually. It's interesting to see this process. And I think a lot of people, whatever banter I've been seeing on social media, I, it seems some people don't take into consideration how this process is tied to a three-dimensional marketable item that you have to buy in the store sometimes. It's true. Yeah. Like you, it, it's, you, it's, it could exist in its own world aside from that, but, but it's an added layer of complexity for everybody that that's actually the reason yeah. it all exists. You gotta look, yeah. You got to kind of look at the big picture that way. It's a fascinating, I, I love, I, I'm glad that, I mean, I love seeing this. It's an added level of this creative process that all boils down to, you know, a toy, but also getting a story behind that toy and making it work and making it, it's all marketing and, it is all marketing and, 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 the, and, and the strange kind of thing now that we've got with like third party or masterpiece figures is they're making they're making so accurate versions of this mm -hmm. so it's gone in this weird kind of meta way of, yeah. where we'll kind of take it back and if you yeah. buy any of the new legacy figures or anything like that we're talking about the toys again but hey it's a toy show yeah um you know they they are i, I almost I almost really want them to go back to original kind of diaclone kind of toys. That, that then when you saw when you read the comics or you saw the show, you saw them anthropomorphized in a different way. And it led mm -hmm. to a bit of imagination. Now we've got the legacy figures, which are show accurate. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the engineering is fantastic, but it, it's a yeah. weird, just a weird thing, I mm -hmm. think. Right. You know, Mike would probably be able to. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have a weird, provocative hot take. Oh. So obviously I, I love the Transformers, the movie. I, you know, I, everything about it, you know, the story, the music, all, all, all of that other stuff. Um, and I've always said that that's kind of separate from my Transformers fandom. If, if that kind of makes sense. Like I, I have love for the movie first and foremost, just as a movie. I'm also a fan of Transformers. Now, one of the, the, my favorite things about Transformers is when they look like other things. So my favorite character designs are actually like the 84, 85 uh, uh, characters that have visible car parts. Like one of my favorite character bits is like, you know, uh, the, the dots and molds uh, door wings. I love door wings or like, you know, chests that present as cars, you know, oh, something right. where it's like when you're a kid walking around, you see like a, a dots and Z car and you could be like, Oh, well that that's a, that's just blue streak or that's yeah. just prowl right. or something like totally. that. But then <laughs> yeah. once you, once you get into the, uh, the 86 line and the movie characters where instead of adapting Diaclone, Microchange, Microman, all of those previous toy lines and starting making new toys going backwards, you lose a little bit of that. So it's like, I mean, like Hot Rod Cup, uh, Springer to an extent, have some of the spirit of that where they still have like visible car parts on there. But like the the more the line went the more they're just kind of robots. And I guess my, my hot take is that I don't, I don't like those character designs as much as quote unquote transformers. I love them as science fiction characters, yeah, but go. I think like that, that's, that's kind of the problem I ran into with like the IDW comic books. It's like, it's terrific science fiction, but not necessarily. I mean, like they're transformers characters, but like, I mean, it reminds me of some of the stuff our friends uh, Greg and Yoshi have said about their Transformers reanimated project is they want to make sure that like the transformation element of that or, or like what Ryan says, you know, just be cars. You know, it's yeah. like I think 
contemporary Transformers fiction has kind of forgotten that like the vehicle mode or alternate mode is just as important as the robot. It's mode. the reason and they like are interesting. <laughs> it's in there. Yeah, and then you've got, and, the, and then you've got the Bayverse, which is probably the most car kibble like transformers and then people like going oh they're not proper transformers because they're not they're not kind of blocky and 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 like the original designs and yeah you can take it too far yeah absolutely (laughs) and and, and i and i would say with those live action movies while i'm not the biggest fan of them what i liked in that first one is yeah they, they, they they were dripping with car parts you know, it's like like I remember like there's a scene where Bumblebee transforms and you could see like brake rotors and stuff in there. And I I thought that that was actually really kind of cool. But what happened, I think the live action movies kind of did the same thing that the cartoon did is it, it got more stylized and to the point where Optimus Prime doesn't even look like a truck anymore. He just, you know, looks like the titular last night or or whatever, you know, where it's more about like armor and spikes and metal and space garbage and all of that. But I it's easy to forget that in that, especially in that first movie, how explicitly there were actual car parts that, that were incorporated yeah. into the design. Mike, I totally agree with you 100%. I will say as a kid, I, uh, and I'm really glad that you mentioned science fiction i really did like once season three dropped as a kid i i enjoyed approaching it from a science fiction aspect but i can see it, it just kind of became for me season three is beca- became a, a different a different thing and i still enjoyed it very much but yeah you, at that point it's uh the designers it's kind of like whatever they whatever you want to do it's kind well, of the, all the, the rules were off the table because yeah. they didn't have to conform to no. whatever the human uh earth standards double edge uh, double edge sword uh, for the sure way were and and there's a, there's a comment that i'll probably come on to maybe a bit later if we actually start talking about the scenes <laughs> yeah. right right um uh, that, that has that so so i'll, I'll park that and this might say maybe i'll email back to that later well, let's. I guess let's get into it. I think we are all aligned <laughs> from an art standpoint. Conceptually genius, executed very well. Shout out to all those artists that contributed to that project. So, um, Ryan, what's how we want to do this? Well, so um, the reason, like we talked about, that we even kind of just came out of our radar was that um, Alex was there and he tweeted at us about it. Uh, long and the short of it is he managed to shoot and share with us about an hour and a half hour 40 minutes of video of the panel and that's kind of like um how we got to see a bunch of this stuff right um on top of the chris mcfeely followed up with a lot of tweets kind of summarizing summarizing the summary i guess right presented right i used the twitter thread uh mr mcfeely was kind enough to create outlining the beats of the panel at tf nation as a framework as we go through this and it's available in full on uh, tfw 2005 which obviously we'll link to um the order in which chris tells it in the thread is a little off from the panel for the sake of clarity so i tried to put my notes from the video um in the appropriate spaces as we go through the thread um and like we said at the top of the panel it's, it was basically they were saying that flint is very product protective of his material so we haven't been able to release it and this was kind of a consumable way to show it to people there are no um it starts off and there are no season two decepticons in this script because like we said this was written after the season one was produced but before any of it aired 
Um, so Ron Friedman went out and wrote this movie, and so a lot of this is kind of stand-ins. Like, basically, he's not necessarily like him, but we'll see as we go through this that Tanker kind of just becomes the character of Cup. Because he's right. like hanging out with Hot Rod, and there's a human character that basically oh. will merge into Springer later on in life. Uh, I fucking hate Rusty Steel <laughs> so much. <laughs> so okay, all right. So, um, like I said, uh, Chris McFeely did this great uh, breakdown in three acts on Twitter and then collected it all together. So, um, he says, Last weekend at Jim Sorensen and I unveiled the never-foreseen first draft of Transformers the movie at TF Nation LTD. If you weren't there, settle in, because tonight I'm doing it all again right here on Twitter. And he starts off with, It is not the year 2005. Our story begins an indeterminate amount of time in the future as the Decepticons attack an Autobot steel mill. And the Constructicons use stolen ore to build, like, these siege towers. And they talk about how there's a lot of building of things in this script. And this script is, like, 200 pages plus. So it's it's a crazy yeah, first draft. And, and I think they mentioned at the time that, uh, you know, Flint Dilly might have said it, it's unfilmable. Incoherent, yeah. I think I think they said, yeah. Yeah. And it is. I mean, it, it, it is. It's a it's a cocaine fueled binge, <laughs> fever, <laughs> fever some dream. kind of plot. Yeah, fever, it, yeah, it is the classic dream. first draft where, like, I mean, and it is a very Friedman first draft in particular, where like you just throw everything at the wall and kind of like you'll pare it down later. Also, I feel yeah. like a lot of stuff for these kinds of things. And especially because this went through so many iterations, the script, um, it is a lot of like, well, let's see what notes I get from it. Right. Also, I feel like the Transformers story in general hadn't evolved by the time he cranked this thing right. out. So by the time we got to whatever the final filmed script was, there's been a little bit more room to breathe, develop the characters, and j just make it a little bit more character-based, I guess, than what this is, which is just... A lot of action and a lot of like wackiness, <laughs> kind of in the genre of those first three episodes of the Transformers. Mm -hmm. um, defending the steel mill is Magnus, who we talked about as the Floro Dairy design, and he's joined by the youthful Hot Rod. This is an interesting point. Hot Rod, from the jump here, doesn't change a whole lot from this script all the way to what we see on film. I mean, he does different things, but the character is very similar throughout. I think that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the kind of Luke Skywalker character of of this movie, and and has remained kind of through all of the subsequent ones. You know, and and this is the one thing that wasn't explained, and it's just conjecture. You know, did Hasbro sort of say, look, you know, we we need some new characters here, and we want this to be a Luke Skywalker. You know, we want an Indiana Jones character. You know, all of these things that were mm -hmm. kind of in the zeitgeist at the time. We we want to kind of have our own versions of that. and I don't know, maybe. Yeah, um, so we have Hot Rod and then we have Tanker, the grizzled, one-eyed, old, um, old Sherman tank Sherman character. Tank. That was pretty, that's a pretty cool component. I that would have been a fun toy. Um, and then uh, the Battlefield Medic RC and Wheeljack, who does not die in this movie. Um, but probably should, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> the panel they show here uh, is particularly cool, and I won't say that the mm, that Chris and Jim ripped off our script deviations panel in DC. Ooh, uh oh, hot with original spicy. artwork. But I will say, who wore it better? I don't know. <laughs> Ryan did create a lot of original artwork for our script deviations segment, and uh, also. 
composed it over Transformers the movie stills, if I remember correctly. Um, right? I think I used some components. I don't remember. I haven't watched right. it in a while. But yeah, go watch no it on YouTube. No shots fired, unless they are. <laughs> no, I was that, just... But it's Ryan that's holding the gun. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Shakiest gun in the West. Uh, Wheeljack and RC have a bickering relationship throughout the draft. This is what Chris r- uh, wrote. Uh, the misogynistic Wheeljack constantly underrating her skills, oblivious to the fact that she's constantly averting disaster and saving his life in the background. Which does happen a lot. She saves his life, like literally yeah. knocks stuff out of the air when it's about to hit him, but he doesn't see it, and he's like, "I wish she would do something." I had a yeah, uh, damn fe- fembot. Like, yeah. What's she doing here? <laughs> this is. I don't think they do. The, I don't think Chris talks about this in the in the in the Twitter thread. But in watching the panel, it seemed to me that they're talking about. I think it's meant to be implied that Wheeljack and RC are like um, a will they, won't they, Sam and Diane like character like characterization as opposed to RC and hot rod, which it, it comes in the movie. And because, of yeah, the- I, I, I think that, that, yeah, that came through a few times and, um, you know, not, not, no, no one told me not to film anything. And there were other people filming the whole thing. So I'm sure the whole thing will be, will be on, uh, uh, YouTube or something at some point, as many of these things are. I had to keep deleting things like, you know, uh, birth of my first child and like <laughs> anniversaries and things like that, uh, in order to clear some space on my phone. So it's, it's just just these just these little clips that that kind of were acted as a bit of an aid memoir for me. Um, but yeah, it, it was a salmon diet. Yeah, that, that that was obviously clearly supposed to be a comedic story beat that was gonna thread through the kind of Wilma and fred flintstone kind of thing she's the capable one wheeljack is this gruff buffoon uh misogynistic buffoon mm-hmm. uh, yeah that 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 came through quite clearly well see and i i since we've stopped for a sec i want i want to talk about the inclusion of rc because i ron friedman is a puzzling figure to me i i uh in, in mike cyber top takes i don't know if i have the same reverence that everyone on this panel does for uh for mr friedman i mean obviously i can't deny his contributions and will always you know he's autographed my poster um i have his book i've talked to him but um but the thing but he he's he's a puzzling figure for me and one of the the incongruities i found is the inclusion of rc he said in panels that he thinks that they're should be female transformers. In fact, he's kind of become in uh, postmodern times and retrograde, kind of a early feminist icon of the transformers or whatever. But that's fine. But then you see all of the characterizations of the character in all of his drafts of the script. Um, I mean, he uh, he invented the sunbow wrist grab. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, uh, oh, well, you know, I can't really be helpful. I'm just a she bot, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So like there's, there's always been a bizarre undercurrent of sexism and misogyny with regards to the treatment of the RC character. So I, I find it kind of, I, I don't know, it, it, uh, it, uh, it tweaks my melon a little bit, makes me furrow my eyebrows that now in modern times, Ron Friedman is saying, oh, yeah, you know, I I fought Hasbro hard to make sure that we included a female character, which sounds she's a nurse to... and gets well, she's not a nurse by Wheeljack. She's a medic. It's a boy's toy product. You know, I mean, that sort of toxic masculinity as we know it now, you know, kind of thinking, well, you know, girls, 
Ooh, they smell. Ooh, I couldn't kiss a girl. Ooh. It, it sort of reinforces that, and that just part of the part of the life well, at that time, which ages something like this, maybe. Yeah, well, I think, and here's kind of my take on it. Um, it is like you don't. How do I put this? Um, for me, especially, like I, you know. You're never done evolving and learning about things. I think for Friedman, who's a very old guy, and at the time was still an old guy, <laughs> like he's ninety sure. now. Um, I think that there are levels of like, well, there are blind spots you don't necessarily have. I think he was trying to be inclusive, but didn't have all the information. You know, just didn't. There right. were things he didn't know he didn't know. You, yeah, he was a man of his time and probably progressive for his time, but. I still feel like there was probably more progressive female sure. writing of female characters at that time. Like he's, I, yeah, I wanted to include. Well, we'll, I, we'll come I, up to Starscream's ghost. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say, but you talk about more progressive writing uh, at that time by Ron Friedman. Look at his G.I. Joe stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's yeah. rotten with that's capable female characters, and he wrote those five parters. So it's good like point. I just so. It goes so back like to your Scarlet, enigma. He's an he's it's sort of an enigma at, yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's it, it's it's weird. Yep. He's a weird dude. He is a very weird. He's a very interesting, strange person. Yep. <laughs> like, Absolutely. and his his writing shows that. He, I, he's a man of his time, but he's also probably still a weirdo in his time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that affectionately, yeah. most, mostly. And meanwhile, Optimus Prime is on the way with reinforcements and more fuel for the besieged heroes. So there are like you can see shadows of what would become the siege on Autobot City because right. now Prime's coming in with reinforcements. Right. Um, he and the other Autobots ride in vehicle mode on flatbed cars to towed by a freight train crewed by <sighs> crewed by their human allies, <laughs> Colonel Rusty Steel and General Blaze. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think General Blaze is mentioned past that ever at all. I think he came, I think he was mentioned a couple of times, but it, it seemed to me that they were really pinning all their hopes on this Rusty Steel character. Yeah, <laughs> he, they, he, he, he was really got a lot. Yeah, Indiana Jones was big at the time. That was and uh, with the names Colonel Rusty Steel and General Blaze, I wrote, "Is this a pornography film? <laughs> why not just yeah. call him? Why not just call him Rough Ramrod and Grievous Boner?" <laughs> And they were riding on rails as well. So yeah, yeah a huge phallus. <laughs> now we have to make buttons for those characters, which just huge erect yeah. cocks. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I gave her the rusty steel. I did do a, a design for an APDC butt plug. So oh, look forward to that. I, okay. Yeah, we'll wonderful. put that on Twitter a long time uh, ago. We'll need Alpha Magnus's help in uh, <laughs> that to life. Shout out. Uh, so Rusty Steel is a wisecracking Indiana Jones type character, while Blaze is a gruff patent style general. Uh, they and the Autobots are deliberately traveling by this unconventional method to make themselves into a target Megatron won't be able to resist. I keep wanting to call Rusty Steel Rusty Still, who was a oh. member at Twin Oaks Country yeah. Club when we worked there. Member number 655. Yeah. Um, also, I never hit the. I never got his name was Rusty Still, and he was a drunk, a blazing alcoholic. <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah, <laughs> I never connected those things. Yep, yep, yep. Oh man, we used to give our members roadie cups full of booze so they could drink while they drove home. Can't prosecute That's, us too long ago. It Statue was the nineties. <laughs> so the human characters in this in the finished Transformers of the movie film we know are so much more preferable to me than these fucking zeros. That that are in this first draft, mm -hmm. including Ellen, who we'll meet in a bit. Ugh. 
<laughs> All right. So that's speaking of Ron Friedman female characters. My God, she's not she's not bad. I just find her. No. Well, we'll get there. So predictably, Megatron's forces attack. Starscream tears up the tracks ahead of the train to try and stop it, but it turns out the train is actually an Autobot named Rails, who transforms from a freight train to Ultratech hover train and smashes Screamer out of his path. Why have the freight train mode <laughs> at all? And, and, the, and the best bit of it was, was they said, you know, uh, Robots in disguise. Yeah, Starscream lands on the tracks and ties them into ties a Ties them in a bow, yeah. And, and you can imagine him, like, going... <laughs> Megatron. The stars, like, ah! the Starscream in this script is very on brand Starscream. Yeah, like yeah. everything about him is is very good, um, which implies he was supposed to be the full the full guy of of this. Every franchise has them, you know. He Man has them, you know. The kind of beast in him, you know that that kind of bumbling kind of idiot that always gets dealt dealt with. Obviously, you know, they already pegged him as that that kind of character. Rails uh, turning into a hover train is called Transformation Alpha, and as they say in the panel, this implies there's a Transformation Beta. So back at the mill, Hot Rod and Tanker fight a Decepticon wielding a laser chainsaw and bisect him with his own weapon. And in this description, like, Hot Rod sounds like a badass in the attack on st the steel mill. He takes out, like, four Decepticons after he runs out of ammo using his rifle as, like, a fighting staff. It's pretty cool. He bashes one in the face with the butt of it. One thing I don't remember. Did you touch on this? And maybe the Constructicons, I thought it was interesting that, so they're robbing an Autobot steel mill. They're sieging it, but they are somehow, they're, they're stealing the steel, but then also at the same time using that steel to build like the siege tow towers, the siege yeah. towers to like you've already accomplished the job of getting the steel but you're still there to fight and build the siege towers for whatever can we go back to that a sec because that that initial bit was for me straight straight off the bat it was kind of like right this is this is the raiding hydroelectric dams this is the original kind of thing yeah Decepticons were here to steal plunder earth and this whole thing left me feeling really kind of, I don't know, a bit, bit didn't feel right. Now, that's the one thing with the movie took it on 20 years. And you had a little bit more fantasy there. Mm -hmm. This one was very much kind of a, just a continuation of a run-of-the-mill attack by Decepticons on some strange product line production thing. It, it jars when you know what we got. Yeah. At the time, it yeah. makes sense because even season two hadn't even been written yet. So it was, the, the power plant of the week wasn't stale yet, I guess. And it, it lets you appreciate the risk that they took to do mm. a story element of, okay, we're just going in the future. Mm -hmm. No reason. We're just <laughs> yeah. doing it. That's that's what's happening. And I'd have to assume some people were nervous about that idea, but I feel like it worked out really well. Magnus takes out the fire snow cannon, and just in time, Rails arrives and transforms again, Transformation Beta, into a colossal snake robot. And this is my favorite illustration. It is. And everybody... And this got, this got the crowd just went like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll put up a shot of that, but the, everybody seems to love the Autobot Rails character, and it is awesome. It it's is cool. very cool, and I could see that also being a very cool uh, toy. And he, so Rails, like, he, he uses his flame breath, laser eyes, and massive body to crush and melt the cons and their siege towers. Meanwhile, it seems that at this point, Optimus and Megatron have their showdown, which is basically what we get on screen, including Hot Rod intervening 
to try to stop it. And they say this in the panel that uh, apparently in the original script, he's much more broken up about um, and he I, I don't know. He seems broken up in the movie about uh, his his maybe component of getting prime. I think, I think they were kind of implying it was more of a point. I think that was a thread that kind of weaved its way in this script a bit further on. That's like, oh, it's, it's, my, it's my fault. You know, I should never have got involved, which you do get that a bit in the in what we got for the original 86, but but not not to this extent. Mm -hmm. But then the fight scene that follows with Prime and Megatron, they said was pretty much verbatim what we got in the storyboards mm -hmm. uh, and everything else. Interestingly, though, for me, I was reflecting on this with rails and the robots on the back of him is a bit like that deleted scene that never was of Ultra Magnus coming in with red alert and tracks and sideswipe on the back and they jump off and they and and again i think what this this played a little bit more into again with the constructicons the the toy value the play value was at play much more in these scripts and in that storyboard of magnus ultra magnus coming in with the as a car transporter using that which we didn't really get too much in the finished film that we saw in 86 and i think the constructicons kind of using their powers of construction you can imagine like steel being poured into Mixmaster and it's coming out as girders and the hook is kind of welding it together as that's happening. Would have really done a lot more for that kind of play value as toys. Like, oh yeah, I can do that at home. Like, yeah, you didn't yeah. get that. Yeah, I think, Mike, you, you were nodding pretty vigorously during that, that description. Like that, I yeah. think, plays into your part of like, I liked the real toy, like the, the real world component of toys and stuff and the play value. Yeah, yeah, toyetic moments, as as my buddy uh, Ant from TFU.info would say. You know, play uh, playable moments, play patterns, toyetic type of things. Yeah, and again, it's it's to sell toys, and anything that harkens back to the toys is uh, is is appreciated. But one of the things that you know, so we're recording this like a week after the panel, so it's kind of been sitting in the Twitter sphere for a while, kind of in the in the Transformers fandom zeitgeist. Some of the the pieces of fan art of Rails ha has been really cool. That that character and that design has really stuck a chord with uh, with fandom, and we've seen tons of fan art, tons mm -hmm. of discourse. Uh, Rails definitely seems to be the breakout of mm -hmm. all of this. Are you listening, Hasbro Pulse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised at that character. I guess because n nobody knew it existed, ha hasn't surfaced, hadn't made its way into IDW to some degree or another. Like just. It, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. And and I it's and I guess it's a bit Skylinksy. Yeah. Yes. I had that note earlier too that like some of these things seem weird, but it's because like we did never heard of them or seen them. Like we'll get to Kimiko and stuff like that. But like um it, yeah, like Rails is no stranger than Skylinks. I thought that exact thing. Yeah. The and I'm and I'm assuming and maybe they said this during the panel that that character was kind of developed as the anti-devastator, knowing that at this mm. point in time mm -hmm. there were no Autobot combiners and maybe the Dinobots hadn't been established yet as the adversary to Devastator. And so the Autobots needed a big and, and, guy. And, what, and we, we got eventually one of the later drafts, there was what became Predaking, I think, wasn't it? And that was an Autobot um, monster. Dragon Beast. Dragon Beast. Dragon Beast, that was it, yeah. So there, there's always been that beat in there right. of... The Autobots having your gargantua that would that would come in as this secret weapon that Decepticons didn't know about, and that's what would get everything. Mm -hmm. That was related to animals in both sense. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Rusty makes a plan 
basically, we have Ratchet here uh, who look instead of Perceptor looks at Optimus Prime and is like, he he be fucked. Um, he did. Yeah, and so Rusty makes a plan. Ratchet and one group of the bots will take the wounded Prime back to headquarters while Wheeljack and a second group just start building spacecraft out of the, like scratch <laughs> what is made it in a cave with a box of scraps wheeljack is just slapping sh- in, like ships together which is very on brand for the autobots is, and wheeljack yeah as they do um and gears and, and again they said lots of lots of freedmanisms like you know um Tungsten, rubidium, steel, mm-hmm. and uh, cy- cy- cybernetic blah, 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 things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's made of ultimanium. <laughs> uh, and then Gears grouses about a human Rusty taking charge, and this is the only time I'll ever say I agree with Gears because Rusty annoys the hell out of me. He's just too much. It's just too much. He's no Marissa Fairborn. I'll say that. <laughs> he doesn't again, have a nice really mid-Atlantic kind of accent. Really big in human characters. If you think about, you know, a lot of the franchises at the time, I'm trying to think of one now, you know, like pole position or something. It, it wasn't the cars. It was the human. The, the humans are the vehicle for the story. It's the, and I guess the thinking was you have to have humans mm-hmm. for kids to really get on board alien robots. You, you, and and that, that kind of went its way into the Michael Bay films as well. Mm-hmm. You could, oh, well, yeah. It was too expensive to film them. But you, you, you couldn't identify with the robots having personalities. You had to have a human to, as a vehicle to carry that and drive that kind of yeah, that's always uh, been weird forward. to me. Like I don't yeah. understand all the way through Daniel. I mean Daniel. I think in and I have this note later that I'll expand upon, but I think the movie sure. did a perfect amount of humans. And well, I'll get to it, but like I don't know why we're introducing new humans in this draft, right? Yeah, especially since it doesn't take place chronologically 20 exactly. years in the future. So why do they all of a sudden have this relationship with Rusty and, I guess, the, the although, U.S. military? Although, as we'll see in just a second, it must be some component of the future, and they must have planned for this to be after season two because the arc is completely different. Um, the Decepticons return to Cybertron to uh, enshrine the dying Megatron's life essence like we see in the movie. But, it, it's, well, they return to Cybertron, except there's no ship. They just fly away. There's no astrotrain. Um, they To enshrine Megatron's life essence in an urn in the Hall of Heroes, which is basically like what we saw in the second draft that we talk right. about. Um, it's, yeah, it it's even identical. makes it to the movie where we see them in the Hall of Heroes with the little flames underneath their mm-hmm. statues, which that's their life sparks in the right. script. Yeah, interesting vestigial thing that made its way throughout the whole process, and yet when we see it in the actual movie, it's not referred to as such at all. It's right. just a background element. And, uh, and the Hall of Heroes is one of the first Nazi. There's a few Nazi comments mm-hmm. uh, throughout this script, and again, it's that that kind of I forget what it's called now, but you know the, the, the kind of sort of there's a there's a reference to kind of Art Deco bas reliefs of of Decepticon heroes a la some some kind like of the Nuremberg rally. it is Nuremberg, Nuremberg rally yeah, which yeah. was also that's the same description in the script we read it's a Nazi Nuremberg mm. architecture mm. um yeah it's their version of confederate statues take them down <laughs> maybe that's why spoil or you know just a little peek behind the curtain when we get to Starstream's ghost it's buried in the ground so, oh. does he mention Albert Speer at all no who's that he was the main Nazi architect. Who's the architect? Oh, the no. Sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed I did not know. He's oh. the fascist Frank Lloyd Wright. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Architecture <Okay>. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Just... 
So the oh, argument, uh, basically, we see that when they get to the Decepticon Hall of Heroes, the Decepticons start arguing who's going to be leader. And um, Megatron, in the meantime, is like dying and is like, hey, put me in the urn, fucker. And, but in this script, he just dies. And in the one we read, um, the, uh, a statue falls on him and he's crushed. And his life spark drifts out into the void. And in the script we read, it drifts out into the void with a bunch of smashed statues, and the and the and the, the sparks mm. from those statues go with him, and those are what become Unicron's uh, ah. new characters instead of the dead vintage Decepticon, Decepticon heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, from the past, yeah. which is still a rad concept. Oh yeah, there's yeah. a part of that that I really like, like ancient Decepticons. That's yeah, that that's something really cool that that was kind of. Uh, uh, tragically unexplored. Um, you know, one of the things real quick that, mm -hmm. you know, like um, during this panel, as it was happening, folks were tweeting photos, little clips and things like that. So, and this image, the one of the, the art by, uh, James Marsh, who did the, this piece of Megatron's spirit leaving his uh, his busted ass body, and people talking about, oh man, you know the original draft of uh, uh, Transformers the movie was super crazy, just crazy ass stuff. And I was thinking, it's like, oh well, welcome to the party, pal. We've uh, <laughs> you know because I I didn't I didn't see enough to see that this was something completely different. I didn't know that it was like the first draft. I thought basically Chris McFeely and Jim Sorensen were basically doing Ryan's script deviation panel. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. and even some of your tweets, uh, um, Alex, where I'm just like, yeah, this is, uh, we've seen this. Before, we, we've seen yeah. this. I mean, I mean, it's cool that new people are experiencing it, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily blow, blow my skirt up. Um, it wasn't until later that, you know, like I saw rails and all that, but I think this image was literally the first thing that I saw in, in a straight tweet as mm -hmm. this panel was going on. Just a, just a weird thing. Yep. Uh, you know, they've got a pretty broad audience and platform. I don't know. How, how many followers does Chris McFeely have? Let's see. 13.2K. So he's a little bit. Uh, we're, 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 we're getting close. He's been in the game for a little while. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Nope. Uh, Ratchet's party of Autobots returned to the Autobot headquarters, which now encompasses, and this is what I'm talking about, encompasses the entire volcano, having become a huge complex where the Autobots and humans work together, and it rotates open. Um, and this is where we meet Springer. Um, who is described as an Arnold Schwarzenegger type robot? He seems to be enormous with a tiny head. <laughs> okay. Yep. And we also meet computer programmer uh, Dr. Ellen Prentice and her son Daniel. So Daniel's not Spike's son, and Car like this is what I'm talking about. Of like, I where, think it where's was, Spike? So he's not in the <laughs> yeah, I know, Spike. I know, was, exactly. Spike would have been established by now through yeah. he was uh, in the right the, the, the pilot. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just it, it makes it so much, and I have this point later, but too, but it makes it so much stronger in the final film where it's like these are characters we already know, and also um, it just it's just it's such a better um, storytelling choice, I think. Yeah, for sure. I guess it makes you wonder if their intent as season one progressed was to abandon Spike and Sparkplug as characters. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Sparkplug certainly. <laughs> <laughs> And Chip and, you know, <laughs> fuck those guys. Oh, man. That's uh, anyway. OK, so Daniel Hero worships Rusty, but Ellen's not a fan of the colonel. She'd much prefer Daniel to focus on his studies. Meanwhile, the Autobots rush to treat Optimus. Tanker consoles Hot Rod. And like I said, who's very messed up over the whole thing. 
So meanwhile, Megatron's essence drifts through space to a planet Unicron, a strange slab-shaped world covered in metallic crystalline scales and undulating trees and grass. There he is greeted by a disembodied voice known only as the Entity. And this is uh, the description of Unicron in here is very weird if you've never heard it before, but it's it basically is exactly what survives into the script we did. Right. Um, except in this one, they, they say never... he's flat though. Yeah, yeah, slab like, slab like. Yeah. yeah, it's the same way in the script. In oh, in round two. Yeah, yeah, I I felt like I'd heard this before. Yeah, but, yeah, this was this was familiar. This it with like the tree like hair yeah. and all that yeah, all that other weird stuff. Or yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. that, but I guess I, I'm just like, the fact that he's not round and planetoid is I, what's yeah. throwing me. I don't know if they're I don't know if that's meant to believe, mean he's flat, like as opposed to just being. I think just I think slab like. I think you're getting hung up on slab like. I am totally and getting I, hung I, up on slab. And I think it may, I think maybe in his mind at the time it was like, uh, like if I if this like junkie on if this is gonna turn. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe if this is did it ever? It didn't turn into a robot in the first. It did. Well, so it makes more sense then. Maybe it's like conceive easier to conceive that a slab would turn into a robot rather than maybe a, that's than where a my glow. head was maybe. going. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, you're. It's true. I don't think it ever describes it as anything other than that so maybe it's not spherical which i don't want to go down the hole of why that would piss me off <laughs> <laughs> i guess if it's a transformer it wouldn't it doesn't matter it wouldn't necessarily have to be spherical anyway the entity offers megatron a new body and new power if he will serve him and megatron accepts and galvatron is born and this is again the same where he has a new insignia that's the third insignia not autobot not decepticon but like inject well they don't call him ingester in this all he's called is the entity or unicron the unicron planet we don't even know that the at this point that Unicron is a character. We just know the voice is coming from the planet mm -hmm. itself. I did like the use of original color models for Galvatron and RC for mm -hmm. that matter. And RC's design was also that, that first draft where like her backpack is more wonkily connected to her, her arms are all weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I thought that was a cool choice to throw back to those colors. So back on Earth, before Prime dies, he passes his life essence, which he calls his Matrix, or is called the his Matrix in the the script. Though it's it isn't it's ex the same thing we see in ours, where it's not a object; it's a small glowing Optimus Prime made of pure light, and he passes it to Magnus, who then becomes Ultra Magnus. Makes sense. Yeah, that was kind of neat. Makes, so makes maybe at some point he was supposed to transform in some way, like Hot Rod does into into Rodimus. Right. Except that doesn't happen in this script. No, it doesn't say anything about it. So, no. and which is kind of interesting because that that's still the Diaclone toy is still powered convoy. Yeah. So, so it's like he's got armor there. So maybe it's one of those things where he's the blue cab Optimus looking dude, and then he dons uh, the armor to become Ultra Magnus. That would have made doesn't... perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been, been a great. In fact, it doesn't make sense that there would be an original design for him at all in the form of that Orion Pax. Like it seems like the right. toy, the toy side, the business side would mandate, "Hey, we got this thing laying around. <laughs> uh, why aren't we using that?" And I think the other thing to note that was mentioned in the panel, if I remember, it was that this is this was called the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Optimus was a Matrix. Now I think a lot of people kind of assumed. That the Matrix came from Marvel in the comics, that that was the Matrix, and Megatron's was just life spark. It was just an uh, essence, I think they called it. So the Decepticons had an essence, whereas Optimus Prime had something called a Matrix. Mm -hmm. 
and that was that was noted in the panel as kind of a just a weird point to note yeah well and not not the matrix but a matrix, a matrix. Also, mm-hmm. that's fascinating yeah as early on as this the matrix a matrix in august 84 whenever this was so was the implication considering how early this was drafted and that the marvel comics introduced the concept of the matrix very early in its run that there was some kind of collaboration there or some there was some sharing of notes that that's not clear that it, it, it it must have been and i've never i'm sure there's people out there that could that could clear this up like that but i've never been sure about exactly where those amorphous lines mm-hmm. laid at this point between the writing that was bob bodyansky and the writing that was being developed for the transformers comic that was launching at around the same time as this in eight in 84 i think it was late 84 we got the comic in america um, and the matrix being established, and then that was taken on board in the UK run as the creation matrix, which was in Prime's head, that right, Shockwave right, used right. to create the constructor comms and, and Jetfire, um, that was a separate thing because that ran in the UK. That was the thing that I knew with the create matrix, mm. created, uh, creation matrix. But this was the first mention. And, and again, at, at the time of the panel, uh, I think it was Chris that was saying, that made the point that this is an unusual little point to note here. Yeah, maybe a great question for one Jim Sorison in the in the future past. Galvatron uh, returns to Cybertron to reclaim leadership of the Decepticons. And this is where it's really different. Uh, all the Decepticons ba- get Unicron upgrades when Galvatron arrives on Cybertron. And it's this is where I was like, hmm, I can't remember who said it, but like, is this where the weird bulk from Starscream is in the coronation in the movie? Like maybe yeah. it's a holdover in some strange yeah, way. Yeah, I didn't realize when at the time I commented that that um, that I guess those are original designs that the illustrators. That's the choice. <laughs> that's a choice they made, um, not right. necessarily a Friedman right. descriptor or something that had been. I always figured in the original in the original cartoon, you know, it was that fact that for for Starscream, it was just a, a small price point, mid price point toy. If he was going to be a leader, he would have had to have some kind of thing that stood him apart from the rest of the generic seekers. That, that was always my kind of fantasy. Uh, but in this, it was the, the, the entity just makes all of them superpowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that choice from the creators of this panel's uh, angle to kind of fold that in because the difference in the animation model in the movie we see is striking. Yeah. And I would love to know more of what, like why those choices were made. So the point that it was, it was made by a different studio. Almost. Right. That, that, that six star screen has square hands. It, it, you know, everything is different. I think it's got lips as well. I never had that before. We <laughs> see lips a lot come in like mm-hmm. silver bolts, lips, star screen looked very very different mm-hmm. um and if that was that was toei i mean what sort of creative license were they making i don't know right this is inter- like so the entity orders the decepticons to travel to earth to acquire the energy of the planet for him and as they depart the entity expands to cover all of cyber expands his light to cover all of cybertron and cybertron is destroyed collapse collapsing in on itself and sucked away across space through a beam of light for the entity to feed upon and under his breath, Galvatron vows revenge, which, so, no more Cybertron. Right. And they don't seem to make a big deal out of it. Well, they say in the panel that it's a, like, basically, they make Earth the thing they're fighting over to save from Unicron. And they say they like it. I do not. 
I much prefer that it's Cybertron and that we don't deal with Earth really at all anymore. After There's that. more stakes for the Transformers right. if it's Cybertron. Yeah. Right? Um, this is the point where he ended Act 1 at TF Nation, and he, he said, it's taking much longer to tweet than I thought, so that's what we're in for now, and then we <laughs> start Act 2. Speaking of ending things, that is where we will leave off with our intrepid Transformers review team for now. Not to worry, though, fellow traveler. Part two of the TF Nation extravaganza will come next week on... Uh, oh, okay. Well, on September 11th, apparently. Great. We also have what looks to be about a 30-minute Patreon-exclusive mini-sode dropping soon with fantastic stuff from your boys that didn't uh, fit entirely within the conversation of these episodes here, so look out for that. It's great. I edited it, so I should know. So ciao for now. And we hope that those of you that can make it, we will see you in Chicago, TFCon Chicago, in October. I just saw today that Sue Blue is going to be there, and holy hell, that is very exciting for me. I think I might try to work up the courage to have her sign my Friday the 13th 7 poster and the cover page of my script we use for script deviations. I already got signed by Ron Friedman. I'll probably have Peter Cullen sign it as well. I don't know for some reason why Susan Blue is more intimidating to me to contemplate meeting. I just want her to like me. Then again, I've never met anyone to sign anything, and the only time I've ever uh, met a creative at TFCon was when I ambushed Flint Dilly outside of a bathroom. So, at any rate, where where the where the fuck am I? Oh, yes. Tune in next week for part two of the TF Nation Beyond Good, Beyond Evil, Beyond Your Wildest Imagination extravaganza with me, Aaron, Caleb, Mike, and Alex. And until then, pistols at dawn. Hello, friends. Autopod Septicast here. After dark? <laughs> How do we do this? Okay. <laughs> A-B-D-C-A-D. Get your dicks out. Get your pussies out. Get them wet. Get them hard. Get all your gear out on the table, friends. That's right. It's A-B-D-C-A-D. I done heard that y'all were asking for it. It's been a long time since I was on the airwaves. Back by popular demands to talk you off into oblivion. Put your finger in your navel. <laughs> Doesn't that feel weird? Why is that? That's fucking strange. We're gonna do something a little. Mm, we're gonna do something a little different this time. We're gonna take some calls from the audience. First up, who is it? Uh, okay, first up out there in Fresno, we have Franklin. What's up, baby? What's your question? Yeah. Hey. It's long time listener, first time caller. I was just wondering. I'm an early twenties hetero guy, and. I don't seem to be very good with the ladies. Do you have any suggestions on how I can close the deal? I'll take my question off air. Thank you. Okay, well, Franklin, first off, maybe we de-emphasize the ladies and focus on ourselves, huh? I mean, uh, de-emphasize the ladies and get with the Hades. De-emphasize the ladies and get with the Hades. Do you read a lot of Greek mythology? Hey, you're a Greek cowboy, aren't you? That's a that's a butt stuff joke. But seriously, Franklin, 
What you need to do is get yourself a middling Transformers podcast and then pussy come a-running, my friend. Next caller. Hello, APDC. My name is Bike. Um, uh, Bike Bybert? Yeah, that's right. And I was wondering, I have a really great podcast that's very popular, but sometimes I come on my friend's podcast. Your friend's podcast? What's, What's that podcast called? It doesn't matter. Shut up. Anyway, I come on to their podcast. And I'm like, these guys are so much better and more fun than I am. How can I be more like them? Well, Bike, your name is Bike? Yeah, it's a, it's a family name. Okay, Bike. Bike Bybert. Uh, well, I don't know how much I can help you, but maybe just be glad to be included and enjoy the success of your friends. Uh, hey, we don't have to drag someone else down to pull ourselves up, right? Eh, great. Uh, I think I saw that on bumper sticker. You've fallen off, APDC. I hope you get leprosy. Holy, holy, holy cow. Whoa, and that's why I told my producer we don't need to be taking calls. It looks like that's all the time we have for today. (laughs) I want to thank nobody for nothing, and you, fair listener, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the tits. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Blow cells, blow cells, where we sell good. (laughs) 